No? They can't hear me. Yeah, you got to set up closer in front. <laughs> All right, last week I was up in Toronto and had a wonderful time. We did a uh, church planning school. Our association of churches uh, put on a school, and I was part of the team that taught the school. And uh, we actually had limited enrollment to 20 because that's all the room they had in the dormitory. And somehow they ended up squeezing over 50 people uh, into the school. It was a week long. It started at 9, 30, 9 o'clock in the morning, went to 9.30 every night. And like halfway through, we were like, who set up this schedule? And it was us. <laughs> so it was, it was crazy, but uh, it was exciting. It was good. <clears throat> And there were a lot of new people, a lot of hunger to plant churches and uh, uh, excitement about what God's doing, not only in the U.S., but literally all over the world. And uh, it's encouraging to be part of that. All right. Well, if you would turn with me, I'm going to read a couple of scriptures. And um, actually, I'm hoping, hoping to get done. All right, actually, this uh, uh, morning uh, is actually kind of an introduction to an idea. And next week, I'm going to uh, fill out that idea uh, more. Uh, We're talking about sacred pathways. And um, let me just read a couple of verses here. First, in John 10.10, Jesus says, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. And so Jesus is contrasting the purpose for His ministry with the purpose of the enemy's ministry, that the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. Uh, anything that steals, uh, robs you of something, that kills, that brings death, or brings destruction, that's of the enemy. All right, And uh, what is from God is what brings life and abundance. And in the message, it's translated this way. It says, I came... So they can have real and eternal life, more and better life, uh, a better life than they ever dreamed of. How many would like a better life than you've ever dreamed of? Yeah, well, that's Jesus's desire for you. In fact, that's what Jesus said he came to accomplish so that you could have a life that's better than you've ever dreamed of. And the world is so diametrically opposed to that idea. All right, Uh, everything that's in the world, the enemy, all of the uh, demonic influences of the world, and just the world system itself, the the uh, the the architecture, if you would, of the world system is set up to restrain and to restrict and to rob, steal, and kill and destroy. And that's because we're under a curse. But Jesus came to give us freedom from that. You know, that's what Jesus has promised. Jesus promised this abundant life. Yet many of us experience a life that's far less than that. Less than the abundance that Jesus has promised. Uh, we've got to remember at the same time, there's another verse it's in John chapter 16.33. Jesus also said this part. He said, These things I have spoken to you that in Me you may have peace. How many want peace? Peace, brother. <laughs> peace. Everybody say peace. Pe- say it like a hippie. Just say peace, man. 
peace. I came so you have peace. <coughs> you want a piece of me? <laughs> the guy I taught with up in Toronto, the main guy, me and him, and but he was a main other guy. His name was Rick Dorazio. He's Italian. So the whole time we were doing this Italian gangster routine. <laughs> you want a piece of me? <laughs> All right, I'm sorry. <laughs> Jesus said, <laughs> these things I have spoken to you that you may have peace in the world you will have what does tribulation mean? Trouble. Literally, what does it mean? Does anyone remember? Grinding. Crushing. It's the uh, action of a uh, mortar and pestle. Is that what you call them? Where you put a grain in a ceramic bowl and you take this other thing and you crush it into powder. Sound like fun? <laughs> Which part of you of that illustration would be you? <laughs> the grain, <laughs> right? And so Jesus also promised that in the world you will have tribulation or a crushing. Uh, but be of good cheer. But it's okay. Hey, it's okay. Because I overcame the world. <laughs> How about I do a whole sermon like that, eh? I got a problem though with accents. I can't keep an accent for more than a couple of words. It kind of drifts. So I go from Italian to Irish to who knows. <laughs> so Jesus said, I don't know how you're ever going to remember this. Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you that you may, in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. You're going to have crushing troubles. But be of good cheer. Why? Because our cheer, our joy, our hope, our confidence doesn't come from what we're experiencing in the world, but comes from what we the peace that we experience in Christ. Okay? That's the key. So yes, we experience difficulties, crushing difficulties. And uh, as... Uh, uh, the sister shared that, you know, she was down in Mexico and she saw, you know, boy, people live a lot different than us. And <clears throat> I think that, you know, we as Americans are so insulated. Uh, the difficulties that so many people face, uh, we have such abundance. Uh, uh, but even in that, whether, it be, whether you're going through difficulty, job loss, economic downturn, uh, insecurity about your future, relational difficulty, whatever the difficulty, whatever the crushing problems you have, Jesus promised peace in Him in the midst of those. And a peace that's supposed to bring about a, a life that's better than you've ever dreamed of. So the goal is to learn, the goal of being a Christian, the goal of, uh, of church, the goal that we need to set in front of ourselves is to learn and to become skilled at entering into that peace that Jesus promised because we're going to experience tribulation that's as much a part of the promise as the promise of joy. So trouble can come as a result of many causes. Okay, Lots of things can create tribulation or crushing problems in your life. And I have found that normally it is pretty 
uh, uh, pretty much a waste of time or fruitless in most cases, not all cases, but in many cases, to try to figure out why. Why is this happening to me? Sometimes, you know, God will reveal that. And if God reveals why, He'll reveal it in order to enable you to change something so that you can move on. <clears throat> um, uh, so uh, trouble can come from a variety of sources. It doesn't really matter what's causing the trouble. The enemy, the devil, demonic forces, will capitalize on whatever trouble exists, even if it's just natural stuff, uh, and use it to tear down your faith. So even if something that just normal comes along as part of regular life happens to you, the enemy's going to come along and say, see, God doesn't love you. See, you're not serving God. You're not good enough. You might as well give up. Because the enemy's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to tear down. He wants to discourage you so that you um, draw back, so you don't stand strong in your faith, so that you don't advance the kingdom. Does that make sense? Okay, so whatever the causes, and some people hyper-spiritualize everything and think, you know, the devil's doing this, the devil's doing that. And someone called me the other day and asked, I can't remember all the details, but do you think this is the devil? And I said, you know, if it's, if it's the devil or it's not, it doesn't really matter. How you respond to it is what matters. All right? I'm like, yeah, you're right. Okay, great. And so <clears throat> um, you don't want whatever the cause, uh, that, that tribulation to cause you to draw back or to become discouraged. In fact, you want to say, yeah, this is what Jesus promised so that I can lean more into the peace that Jesus brings so that I can have that good cheer that Jesus has also uh, 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 told us to expect. And so I believe that um, what, uh, you know, there's times where when uh, something is happening, there is a call for a kind of aggressive spiritual warfare. You may need to fast. You may need to do some prayer. You may need to get other people praying for you. Uh, and that's good. Uh, but there's also times that the best way to resist the enemy is to draw close to God. Kind of like what Chris was sharing, that that got an image of, of rubber band as the further we get away, the more God is pulling us toward Him. You know, just give in. <laughs> just give in. Give in to God's drawing. He wants you to be drawn near to Him. And that is the best way of uh, engaging in true spiritual warfare is drawing close to God. And, and that's what I want each of us to, to, to walk away with is realize, okay, what I need to do in this situation, what I need to do to get from where I am to experiencing more of the peace and the joy and this abundant life that Jesus has promised is to draw closer to God. Is that good? Everybody say, I want to draw closer to God. Okay, well, there are pathways that lead to God. There are different pathways. All pathways lead to God. No. <laughs> yeah, well, they do. But some of them end up with judgment. <laughs> you know what I mean by that? <laughs> okay. Just be real clear here. Everybody, everyone does end up appearing before God. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Uh, some people just won't know Him when they get there or He won't know them. That's the problem. All right, that's another sermon. Uh, 
Okay. Let me read 1 Kings 19. Why don't you turn with me if you have your Bible with you? 1 Kings is kind of a longer portion of Scripture. And as I've said before, when you read a whole chapter, sometimes you can tune out. So I hope you uh, can follow along. Because this is a great story and we're going to pull a few truths from it. Are you ready for a story? Okay. Elijah is one of the uh, leading prophets, one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament uh, and uh, uh, key in a lot of what God did throughout the Old Testament. Ahab and Jezebel were uh, rulers in uh, Israel, right? <laughs> Israel and Judah were separate kingdoms at the time. Israel. And um, and they were not godly people, <laughs> to say the least. Okay, Jezebel is like uh, the epitome of someone who is against the things of God. <clears throat> so, and Ahab uh, told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, how he had executed all the prophets uh, with the sword. This is right after. Uh, 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 Ahab had, uh, or not Ahab, uh, Elijah had called all of the uh, prophets of Baal and challenged them to call down God, and and uh, and then they weren't able to do it. You can read it earlier in the chapter, and then he utters a simple prayer, and the fire comes down and and uh, and engulfs the sacrifice, and then as a as an act of worship, Elijah takes out a sword and kills all of the prophets of, of Baal. So we're not going to do that. Okay. Aren't you glad we're in the New Testament? Okay. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Jezebel, one of the most powerful people in in that part of the world at the time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life. Okay, so Elijah ran and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, It's enough! Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. But then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. And he ate and drank, and lie down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Hey, arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. And so he rose and ate and drank, and he went on the strength of that food for forty days and forty nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Then he said, God said to him, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. 
But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant and torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they seek to take my life. Then the Lord God said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Haziel as king over Syria. Also you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shapat, uh, of Abel-Maholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Haziel, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all those, uh, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, uh, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him. And he <clears throat> was with the twelfth. Then Elijah passed by him, threw his mantle on him. His mantle is like a, a robe or a, a cloak. <clears throat> and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah. And he said, Please let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back, for what I have done, for what have I done to you? So Elijah turned back from him and took the yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. Okay, so a lot happened in the chapter. Obviously, I can't explain or talk about everything. What I want to uh, what I want you to get out of this is that Elijah was having a crisis. Okay. Uh, and he, it says he ran at the beginning. What did he do? He ran away. He ran away and hid in a cave. All right. And it's, and it's interesting that he had just experienced some of the most powerful, miraculous manifestations in his whole life. Okay. Just before this, uh, Chapter a few chapters earlier, he actually raised a dead child back to life. Okay, and then he challenged all the prophets of Baal, and you should read the story; it's great. They all came out, and it was a big deal, and they couldn't get a single spark of fire to light. And he said a simple prayer, and God's fire came down, and he killed all the prophets of Baal. And it was clear that uh, God was on his side, so to speak. <laughs> And then, also in the same uh, recent history, there was a three-year drought and uh, a simple prayer that he prayed ended that drought. Can you imagine just saying a prayer and a three-year drought ending? And he runs away, he's hiding, and an angel comes and feeds him. Okay, now how many of you would kind of get spiritually jazzed if in the morning... You know, instead of the alarm clock, there was an angel that said, Hey, I cooked you breakfast. 
Come on, right? Did this really happen? We believe the Bible is true, right? This is not just a made-up fantasy. This really happened to this guy. And it happened twice because it says the angel woke him up again. See, you, you need some more because you got a long journey. Then he goes on this 40-day fast. All right? You'd think he would be energized or encouraged after seeing all these amazing things, but instead he was depressed. And he wanted to die. All right? There's one thing here. Is that just seeing miracles, seeing great things, isn't often enough. I would actually say it's never enough. When Jesus walked through the earth, He healed lots of people. All right? He raised people from the dead. All right? And all of Israel saw it. Right? But then they all turned out and were yelling, crucify Him, crucify Him. And even His closest followers hid because they were scared. So sometimes we have this false idea that, boy, if we just saw a miracle, if we saw something, then I could believe. I could have real faith. I could go out and change the world. And you know what? That's just not true. I believe in miracles. I've seen some amazing things. I've experienced amazing things. But I don't, my faith doesn't rest on those things. My faith rests on the person of Jesus Christ. And His truth. And the personal encounter that I've had with Him. And I need to continue to have it. It doesn't matter what happened. Alright? What matters is what's happening. Now. Where are you now? Does that make sense? Alright. Here we see this in Elijah, one of the heroes of the Bible, ends up depressed. Wanting to die. <clears throat> and, he, and then God... Uh, arrives and does all this amazing stuff. God says, walk out of the cave. And first he goes, what are you doing here? You know, well, everyone's trying to kill me. I tried so hard. I really did. <laughs> Whiner. I guess it doesn't actually say that in the Bible, does it? <laughs> Second Samuel 22. We see all these things. God comes and he's, He comes in a, a, a wind. He comes in an earthquake. And He comes in a fire. All, right, all these incredible things that Elijah spoke. But what was interesting is in each one of those, He came in the, in the wind, but what did it say? God wasn't in the wind. Okay? And then there's an earthquake. Shaking the earth. God's not in the earthquake. There's a fire. God's not in the fire. And there's a still small voice. God was in the still small voice. But wait a minute. Sometimes God shows up in the wind. All the time. Sometimes He shows up in the earthquake. Sometimes he shows up in a fire. In fact, let me read this. This is David, Second Samuel twenty-two, verse seven. 
In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. He heard my voice from His temple, and my cry entered His ears. Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations of heaven quaked and were shaken because He was angry. Smoke went up from His nostrils. A devouring fire from His mouth. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down with darkness under His feet. He rode upon a cherub and flew. And He was seen upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness... Uh, canopies around him, dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. From the brightness before him, coals of fire were kindled. So here we have wind and earthquake and fire. And the Lord thundered from heaven and most, and the Most High uttered His voice. He sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning bolts, and He vanquished them. Then the channels of the sea were seen and the foundations of the world were uncovered at the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. He sent from above. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, from those who were too strong for me, uh, too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He also brought me out into a broad place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. And so we see it's biblical that God does uh, show up in all these different things. But to Elijah, at this point, he showed up in a still small voice. All right? And the point is, and I think some people miss this, is that, and I've heard a lot of teaching, it's like, okay, now, from now on, God only shows up in a still small voice. Is that what that te- scripture says? I don't think that's what that scripture says. But the, what I see from this scripture is that you don't know how God's going to show up. And in fact, he's going to probably show up in your life in a way you're not expecting. Because that's the way that wasn't what Elijah was expecting. All right. And so you need to be open and receptive. In fact, you need to seek what Jesus said with your whole heart after God and find ways that you can draw close to Him. There are many, many ways to experience God. And we need to be sensitive to the way that God wants to reveal Himself to you. Alright? You need to be sensitive because the way that works for you is going to be different than the way that works for me. And the way that works for you today may be different than the way that worked for you a year ago or five years ago or whatever. Does that make sense? So you need to be open. Next week, I'm going to talk about seven different ways or pathways that uh, are typical. Most people fall into one of those seven ways as the primary way that they connect with God. All of us can learn how to connect with God in all seven ways, but you'll find that there is one particular way that you kind of lean into or you find it as being uh, uh, the easiest or best way. And that's what we're going to look at next week. But this week, I just wanted to stir up a desire, one, that God wants you to live a life that's better than your best dreams, even in the midst of tribulation. And that the way God is going to draw you close to Him is probably different than the way He's done in the past And you need to be open. You need to be seeking. You need to be hungry. All right? Amen. All right.
Sarah's going to come with announcements. 